Hooray, hurrah. Once again, uh, the Greg Proops Film Club convenes here at Santa Moctica's most enchanting cinematic situation, the Eero Theater, located conveniently in the White People District. Once again, we join hands and join hearts, and in this burning, unbelievable, flaming, horrid hockey puck of a McNugget that is our world, um, seek some solace and the silver screen and the respite that the unreality of madcap comedy provides. And tonight we have a prime example of this genre uh, from 1972, Peter Bogdanovich's What's Up Doc. Yeah, if you ain't seen it. You ain't seen nothing yet, and if you have seen it, you already know what you're gonna get, so you already like it. It's like ordering celery sticks. Um, <laughs> uh, Jennifer uh, picked this picture out. Last month we showed uh, for Christmas Die Hard, so I think we're really getting to the cinematic center of LA's heart right now. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the picture. Um, it's a, 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 an unbelievable uh, uh, success story uh, what's up, Doc? By every measure, it was um, the number two or three picture of 1972 after The Godfather and fantastically, The Poseidon Adventure, which is one of the best comedies of the 70s. <laughs> really? Judgmental. I love that about you. It shows you're engaged. Um, the plot of The Poseidon Adventure is... An enormous airplane sinks into the Caribbean and Mount Everest is upturned and just then a dirigible lands with a series of stars. Uh, Ernest Borgnine sweats a lot um, in the Poseidon adventure. Gene Hackman's a priest. I'm gonna lay on that one for a while. <laughs> Following up his role in The French Connection where he earned an Oscar for playing the hard-bitten um, drug cop, Popeye Doyle. He decided to play a priest who in an upturned um, luxury ocean liner has to take everyone up to the propeller where they're going to find egress, including Jack Albertson, who is fantastically, because there's always a connection, uh, the sister of Miss Albertson who plays the older lady with the diamonds in this movie here tonight. Uh, oh yeah, that's how that works. It's called um, Connect Every Movie to the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> or if you dare, airport. Yes, I said airport. Where Dean Martin plays an airline pilot. Even then, that was a scary notion. <laughs> My name's Pi. Anyway, we're gonna. All right. Take off. <laughs> um. The Godfather, also very funny, uh, richly comic human melodrama based on um, uh, Booth Tarkington's book. And, uh, or is it Louisa May Alcott? I can never remember. It's, it's a charming melodrama of a family that lives in Long Island and they wear long coats and there's Christmas and whatnot. And um, then later in the movie, there's a, a, a religious uh, ceremony where one of the children is baptized and uh, people are ritually killed to celebrate it. Um, it's a warm picture. If you've never seen The Godfather, it's a really one you should cover. Um, 1972 is an astonishing year for film. Uh, the whole 70s, let's be honest. But again, yeah, I was going to pictures then kind of every day. So uh, I saw Godfather with my parents. I saw this picture, What's Up Doc, with my parents. On Christmas Day, 74, my father and I went to the first matinee of Godfather 2 because that's how families should roll. 
My father was an awful individual, and if he had been tried, I would have gladly given testimony against him. <laughs> However, we shared two things, um, baseball and uh, going to see Godfather 2 on Christmas Day. Those are two things we could agree on. Um, that and his ultimate conviction. Uh, <laughs> um, things were so different uh, in 1972. There was a corrupt president who seemed to be running the presidency for his own gain. Surrounded by an enormous group of thugs and cronies, uh, including an attorney general who was wildly bent and didn't follow the law at all, and yet was the head of the Department of Justice. It was so different than now, I don't even know if I can cast your mind back to imagine it. That a president would lie blatantly again and again and impugn the press in that lying and demonize uh, the Democratic Party, so much so that he tried to tamper with the results of the election that were the ones that installed him. I, I know this sounds far-fetched, but come with me on this. This picture, uh, and I don't know why I remember this particular salient fact, uh, made something in the neighborhood of $66 million, and um, movies cost $3 to go to then. I don't know if anyone was alive then, I was. Uh, I was on a life raft after the Rex Harrison, Dr. Doolittle disaster of 70, and I was paddling offshore when this movie was released, and that's how I came to find it. Um, mind you, at the time, Barbara Streisand already strode the earth like a plesiosaurus, um, taking what she would from other dinosaurs, um, uh, looting eggs, uh, triceratops, nesting grounds, and generally dominating all the other actresses of the time. There was all of the other golden age actresses who were still plying their craft uh, on some on telly. By this point, Barbara Stanwyck was, um, I think, uh, on the Big Valley as Ardra Barkley. Um, her sexuality was always delightfully mysterious. And um, uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn was um, making, knocking out pictures one after the next in a Meryl Streepian attempt uh, to get nominated for every single Academy Award and have every single role uh, that anyone could ever have. Um, Barbara Streisand was um, already a musical comedy star of the highest um, caliber, but you'll see in this one uh, that she accomplishes uh, what she sets out to do in a bunch of movies, by the way, some of which you will remember and some of which you won't. The Owl and the Pussycat, which was also penned uh, by one of the co-writers of this picture, Buck Henry, who did the final rewrite on this movie. And um, uh, uh, he also wrote The Owl and the Pussycat. And another picture called For Pete's Sake, if anyone remembers that one. Then there was another picture that you may remember called Up the Sandbox. Barbara Streisand uh, did a lot of comedies. And by the way, Funny Lady and Funny Girl were like musical comedies, except the Funny Ladies, um, more like finding a dead sea creature when you're out in Malibu. <laughs> you know, I'm, as, I'm all for James Caan as a musical comedy lead. And I'm just gonna cool off with a little James Caan coolant here, see if I can make that go away. Uh, you know, I love her, and I don't care if you don't, and here's my point of view. Stalking stars is one of the best parts of living in Hollywood. The idea of living in Southern California, in the old days you could go to Jerry Samastelli and pretty much throw a handful of uh, stale rye pellets and hit a star. 
Samuel L. Jackson, I can't tell you the stars. Oh, I didn't actually see him there, but Jennifer did, so fuck it, it counts. By the way, Jennifer curates all the movies in this film club. I've had, I think, three in eight years. Mine were good. Scrooge with Albert Finney, Return of the Living Dead by Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, fuck you, I have taste. Lifeboat, Lifeboat was mine, I think. Yeah, you fucking heard me, Lifeboat. Not Sharknado, Lifeboat. With Tallulah Bankhead. With a story by John Steinbeck. Every day, when they would shoot, but they were shooting over it, uh, uh, I point this way to orient you, it's actually that way. Uh, where MGM was, is uh, uh, Tallulah Bankhead would uh, climb uh, into this giant tank. They had an enormous tank where they shot Lifeboat. Lifeboat, by the way, is one of Hitchcock's great wartime pictures. Um, I, I'm a partial to foreign correspondent, but Lifeboat is awesome because, as I've said before in the show, um, Alfred Hitchcock was such a great filmmaker that he could have taken an occasional chair and a throw cushion and made it more terrifying than you could possibly imagine. It'd be like, throw cushion, what's underneath? Is it change or is it, you know? So. In lifeboat, they never get out of the goddamn lifeboat. They're in a lifeboat for three and a half fucking hours. Tulula Bankhead's in the lifeboat, thank God. So it's like a gay cabaret from Jump Street. She runs out of cigarettes halfway through the movie, which is disappointing. Uh, but she falls in love, everything happens. There's Nazis and methamphetamine, it's great. But Tulula Bankhead was a, a star of rare caliber. And her own description of her personality was, I'm pure, I'm pure as the driven slush. And then the, uh, my other favorite quote by her was, um, Daddy always warned me about men and alcohol, but he never said a word about women and cocaine. <laughs> so evidently she wore no undergarments, even in her costume in the movie where she plays a fabulous uh, lady journalist in Lifeboat. And she would ascend the ladder each morning into the giant tank where the Lifeboat was being shot. And each morning, all of the crew uh, could see uh, uh, New Year's and, and Valentine's Day, uh, uh, Arbor Day, whatnot. All of the holidays. And uh, you know, all of the celestial bodies, Cassiopeia. You, you follow my drift. In other words, as we speak, my understanding is, um, because I'm a Twitter scientist, that Beetlejuice is about to go Nova and even in fact supernova, which gets you, uh, I believe, a BAFTA instead of a globe. And every morning they would gaze up in uh, uh, the bank head area and um, would applaud her. The crew gave her a hand each morning and she would, and then she'd sit in the boat all day and whatever. Why are you talking about this? Because I picked that movie out of the 200 films we've shown Jennifer chose this one tonight, and for so many good reasons. Now, it's pure um, fate, fortuosity, and uh, kismet uh, that our Buck Henry has uh, slid off into the stars and is now swirling amongst the heavens because he was a man of rare wit. First of all, when your name is Henry Zuckerman and you chose Buck Henry, yeah, that's goyifying it to the hardest, th yeah. I had an agent once in LA named Smith that's all I want to say about that. There, there's goyification and there's goyification, okay? My name's still Proops, so ngee. Um, yeah, I didn't call myself Gr Greg Everett. 
Hey, everybody. How are you? I'm Greg Everett, and I'm just like you. <laughs> you know, Mike Pence has a brother named Greg. Anyways, his mother was a silent movie star named Ruth Taylor. And not only was she one of Max Sennett's bathing beauties, which I don't even want to go into the unbelievable sordidness of what that entailed. However, um, Max Sennett, being a, a, a gigantic producer of comedy and a discoverer of much talent, including uh, um, putting W.C. Fields, Bing Crosby, uh, um, Chester Conklin, whatnot on film, Mabel Normand, most notably. Uh, Max Sennett's uh, films are... Um, not the sophisticated affair that uh, I think you'll find that Chaplin and, and uh, Buster Keaton's films are. However, she graduated from being one of his bathing beauties. Um, Anita Luz adored her. And in the silent version of Gentlemen Prefer Bonds is our Buck Henry's mother, Ruth Taylor. You can still see it. And um, she's quite funny. And she does a lot of groovy takes. Anyway, he grew up in kind of a rarefied atmosphere in New York and here. And he said that one of his uh, grandfather's owned a liquor store that was catty-cornered um, from the whiskey on Sunset. So not only did he grow up in L.A., but he grew up in New York, and his dad was uh, um, a gigantic businessman and general. What an odd upbringing. He joined an improv group. Why are we talking about Buck Henry? Because David Newman and uh, Robert Benton, who were both enormously talented screenwriters, and of course Robert Benton directed uh, many famous comedies like Kramer versus Kramer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, um, uh, I saved this picture, and uh, um, evidently the studio wanted to rush it into production, and they had about 13 days. And Bogdanovich, the director, Peter Bogdanovich, who's still kicking around, baby, um, called them and said, I need um, you to write the script in 13 days. And they went, we can't write a script in 13 days. And he was like, Ben Hecht and Howard Hawks made Scarface in 11 days, right? He threatened them with history. <laughs> so then they brought Buck Henry in uh, to do the final rewrite and before the picture shot. And he uh, rewrote the picture again. And he said, I don't want to be um, complexing or confusing about this, but you need one more suitcase. You'll know when the movie starts what that means. And so they added a character who's portrayed by Michael Murphy in the movie, who's carrying government documents a la the Pentagon Papers, which was quite a situation uh, in 1972. And the reason they had Michael Murphy and put the whole thing in was he looked like Daniel Ellsberg, who was, yes, who was the person, the journalist who exposed the Pentagon Papers. What were the Pentagon Papers? The Pentagon Papers were, um, you may remember uh, the Republican Party in the United States has uh, um, uh, been the party that, uh, as Woody Allen once said, I that's gonna get cut out of the podcast. The Republican Party is, we're editing that fucking line out. Um, the Vietnam War was this um, gigantic uh, lethal charade that was played out over the course of some uh, 18 years or whatnot. And uh, the Pentagon Papers were a revealing part, much like the Washington Post had a few weeks ago, about the Afghanistan War, uh, which is the longest war in American history. And in any case, uh, that's why they put it in, which I thought was wildly awesome. And, fantastically, um, the suitcases that uh, feature in this movie that are the object of all of the um, consternation and confusion 
are because it's the 70s plaid. Yeah, in any other decade, you would not find this. Uh, if it was the 50s and it was a Bogart movie, they'd probably be that dark buffalo thing. If it was the 30s, it would certainly be like a, a valise or a portmanteau like Cary Grant would carry or Ralph Bellamy or whatnot. Um, if it was the 40s, it would be a, a super sexy bag like Rita Hayworth would have, you know? Maybe, maybe even a pony bag. Uh, because it's the 70s, it was uh, Duragur uh, plaid. Buck Henry went to Dartmouth with um, Stan Brackage. Now, Stan Brackage is someone who we won't be showing as much of in the Greg Proof Film Club as we might because he's an experimental filmmaker. I'm sure that lots of you are erudite and know exactly who Stan Brackage is. On the other hand, the others of you who don't may um, view his work when you return to your domicile. Um, the fact that they went to school together is astonishing. Secondly, Stan Brackage was a couple years behind him. Um, Stan Brackage was hating going to Dartmouth and had no direction there. He didn't understand why he was trapped in this Ivy League prison. And Buck Henry took him to his room and gave him hot cocoa, goes the story, and Fig Newtons. And they spoke all night and said to him, you mustn't stay here. You're an experimental filmmaker. You must leave and go um, follow your destiny and get out of Dartmouth, which Stan Brackage immediately did dropped out of Dartmouth and became the experimental filmmaker that he is, historic and uh, unbelievably breaking new ground. Um, it's a really charming story in so much as you don't expect Buck Henry, on top of being the pervy uncle on SNL and having written some of the more memorable scripts uh, of our lifetime, as in To Die For, The Graduate, and Catch-22, um, to be the one that advises um, an independent filmmaker to fuck off out of Dartmouth and get into the real world. Um, after the story was told, and by the way, this is by um, uh, um, the film critic from the Boston Globe who tells the story. Uh, if he was that unhappy, he should leave the damn place. Brackage did so to his immediate relief and ultimate glory. Brackage told me the story in the 80s, and then uh, Buck Henry confirmed it 35 years later with the caveat that it might not have been Fig Newtons, it might have been Oreos. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Let's see here. Uh... I was talking about stalking stars, and I'm going to carry on talking about that. Um, we were driving down Robertson one day, my wife Jennifer and I, the curator of the Greg Proof Film Club, and we saw Barbara Streisand get out of a, a vehicle with James Brolin. Well, James Brolin, uh, as you know now, is, a, in, is absolutely stunningly gorgeous. He has a silver beard and a shock of silver hair. And um, when he's walking, you can hear his voice. He doesn't actually have to speak. When he's walking along, you just hear, what are you doing there? So he and Barbara uh, got out of the vehicle and perambulated to this high-end um, uh, uh, appointment store. Uh, like a, I'm not very good with them. You know when people build stuff at your house? You know, faucets and whatnot. And not a fucking plumber, but like a, you know, hinges and... Uh, like a hardware. Yeah, okay, hardware. Sure, that's what they call it. And... Um, <laughs> It's like the places where they put animals when they live in a building. What are those? Barns? I don't go outside that much, you guys. I'm super sensitive. I'm super sensitive. Help me. I mean, all this incredulousness and stuff. A plumber? No, why would Barbara Streisand go to a plumber, you guys? Barbara Streisand has plumbers like uh, uh, fire brazed on her lawn because they're full of uh, uh, germs. And then she dips them in a giant uh, carboy of alcohol that she's got on her lawn or whatever. 
No, she didn't go to a plumber. It was one of those, you know, accoutrement stores where they sell fancy hinges and, and, and faucets you don't need. It's on Robertson, so you get the picture. For those of you listening outside of Hollywood, Robertson is a street where fictional people go. So there's a fancy liquor store there, and then there's this fancy place where they sell brackages and, and stand brackages. And I don't know what you call stuff. Look, if I nail something into the wall, I'm going to hurt myself. And I'm not going to do it straight, and I can't see. So, I mean, really, what's the point? You know, you, you, the condescension that I'm getting from you right now, I'm going to stop the show, and we're not even having it tonight. I just can't. What, everyone expects me to be a fucking handy person, man? I don't know what barns are, and I don't know what sinks are, okay? I mean, I know what they are. I've seen them. But they're, they're dangerous, and they hurt people. And... You mustn't touch them if you don't know what you're doing. They're explosive. They're like blasting caps or sticks of dynamite or what are those things called? Uh, you know, explosives. So she was wearing a purple number, Babra. And then why I mean B-A-B-R-A, Babra. And he was trailing behind her, <laughs> James Brolin. And uh, Jennifer goes, Barbara Streisand. And I'm like, like, like the Batmobile, a, a, a parachute came out of the back of my Volvo. So we followed her in and I did this. Oh, look, a thing that goes toward a thing. These must be near the sink thing that goes toward the pipe thing that's near the other thing. And I won, a, I won so many awards for my acting for pretending to be interested in nuts and bolts and hinges and shit. I got a Goldie, a BAFTA, um, a Cesar, and whatever the other one is. And basically, I just wanted to hear them, you know, kibitz over the stuff. Because Barbara was like, well, you know, we want this, this, this. And James would go, it was so good. Buck Henry wrote for a lot of shows. Um, he wrote for Get Smart, where uh, my favorite character from the show is um, Barbara Feldon, Agent 99. I don't really think there was... Uh, as much as the show was funny, let's be honest, the whole show orbited around Barbara Feldon, in my opinion. Um, and, then, and, and you'll get no other opinion. It's the Greg Proops Film Club. No one comes up here and contests me after. And nor should they. Uh, uh, and he also worked on um, Steve Allen brilliantly and then Gary Moore, which you won't remember at all. Um, he wrote a bunch of different screenplays and whatnot, uh, almost all adapted from books, including fantastically The Day of the Dolphin, which is a, a moment that's very difficult to describe in the 70s uh, um, pantheon of cinema. Um, coming in between um, Watergate as it did and then uh, later the oncoming punk scene, Day of the Dolphin um, stands alone as a movie where George C. Scott talked to a cetacean. And the cetacean not only spoke to him, it expressed its fealty and love for him. In an immortal line, and uh, the name of the dolphin in Day of the Dolphin is Fa, and George C. Scott's character is known to the dolphin as Pa. And the dolphin at one point, through his blowhole, goes, Pa loves Pa, like that, and talks. And thank you very much. Um, you didn't need drugs in the 70s. The 70s provided its own drugs. 
Day of the Dolphin. Why do dolphins have a day? And why did they talk to scientists? And why was Michael Sarah's, there was someone murdered and it, it was wild, wild picture. We had a lot of things to deal with. Um, reincarnation was super important in the 70s. We were all getting reincarnated for no reason. Um, dolphins talking, super important. Um, a series of ape movies where they not only took over the earth, they went back to the origin of how they took over the earth and how they blew it. Yeah, I know all these Planet of the Apes movies now, you're like, man, the special effects are so good. That had nothing to do with it. We had Roddy McDowell. <laughs> Roddy McDowell did a lot of the heavy lifting. There didn't need to be special effects because behind the ape mask, you could still see that it was Roddy McDowell. And he would go. <laughs> yeah, it was better than you can imagine. So I'm at Musso's. For the people who are novitiates and the people who are uh, Prupolo honeys, um, Musso means the Musso and Frank Grill on Hollywood Boulevard. No one in LA has ever called it the Musso and Frank Grill. I've never heard anyone call it by its full name, not even the people who own it who I know. Musso's. So I met Musso's years ago. And this is before Musso's got good again, like it is now. Like you go to Musso's now and it's awesome. They get the jackets on and the, everything, the food is good and the service is timely. 10, 15 years ago, like you could go in there and go like, I'll have a steak rare and like you'd get like lamb chops. Like you'd be like, what happened? Did, I thought you said lamb chops. How did steak rare turn into lamb? Look, you want the sand dabs? No, I would have ordered the fucking sand dabs if I wanted them. They have sand dabs there. Musa's menu has consomme, sand dabs, uh, yeah, and Welsh rarebit. In case you thought it was 1938 at any point in your life, there's also a payphone booth with a, a, a working payphone that goes like this. So I'm at Musso's, and this is some time ago. I'm with a friend of mine. I'm not with Jennifer, strangely. And we're drinking. And this is when they had no wine at Musso's. They had like Chateauneuf, did nothing. And uh, 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 in those days, the Musso car park was a big affair and had that giant sign over it, like in the movie with Brad Pitt and whatnot. And this is now, when you go to Musso's, the car park's quite small because they built a bunch of stuff next to it. And you pull in and they take your car from you and they put it in a terribly small spot. In those days, the, the parking lot was gigantic. And this was the trick of Musso's parking in those days. You pulled in, parked your own car, and then paid the guy for doing nothing, for standing in the booth, $10. It cost $10 to park. And then if they gave you uh, 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 the validation, which you always forgot to get, uh, it was $10. So we're leaving at the end of the night and we've been, uh, my friend and I are in the inside room in this first booth. Buck Henry is with five women in the booth next to us. And we're like, he's being quippy, he's being funny. We're trying to eavesdrop without eavesdropping. We're getting drunk and having fun. And then we all got up at the same time by pure coincidence, went out to the parking lot and his party got to the uh, car park box where the guy lives. He hands the guy the ticket and the guy goes $10 and Buck Henry at the top of his voice goes, $10 I give you now from 1972. Written by Buck Henry, directed by Peter Bogdanovich, starring Barbara Streisand, What's Up Doc?
Hey, hey.